to the Montana Middle, your podcast for Montana politics. I'm Dan West. Today's episode features former Montana Congressman Pat Williams, who represented Montana in the U.S. House of Representatives from 1979 to 1997. We recorded our call a few days ago when the government was still shut down. And since then, the government has reopened, but only until February 8th. The issue of $5 billion for border wall funding remains unresolved. And if it doesn't get resolved by February 8th, the government could shut down again. Before getting to our conversation, though, a word about our sponsors and the DC update. In its quest to bring the best of Montana to the internet, the Montana Mint supports this podcast. Together, we are striving to make Montana politics more accessible for all Montanans. To keep up with interesting Montana news, check out the Montana Mint at www.montana-mint.com and subscribe to their newsletters about Montana sports and politics. And check out their Montana sports podcast called Montana Mint Sports. This episode is also made possible by the Hotel Finland in the great city of Butte, Montana. Locally owned and operated in the heart of Montana, the Hotel Finland offers affordable luxury and relaxation options at the same price or cheaper as those boring chain hotels along the interstate. Because in Montana, chains are for tires. Experience all the grit and glamour Uptown Butte has to offer. Walk to some of the best eats and drinks in the second largest historic district in the USA by staying at the crown jewel of Uptown, the Hotel Finland. The Montana Mint and the Montana Middle partner with Montana brands and companies like Hotel Finland because we all love Montana. Next time you're staying in Butte, book your room at the Hotel Finland, F-I-N-L-E-N dot com, Finland dot com. Thanks again to our sponsors. Now here's the DC update. Senator Tester, who serves as ranking member of the Senate Appropriations Subcommittee for Homeland Security, has been named to the Senate Conference Committee tasked with drafting border security legislation for the remainder of this fiscal year. They have until February 8 to hammer out a deal. Tester is one of three Democrats on the Senate Conference Committee, along with four Republicans. Senator Daines was named by GovTrack, an independent website that tracks Congress, as the senator from the 2014 class who had the most bills that became law during the 115th Congress, which covered 2017 and 2018. Daines was also recognized as having the most bipartisan bills and resolutions in the Montana delegation and his class. GovTrack also stated that there are many more important aspects of being a legislator besides what can be measured, such as constituent services and performing oversight of the executive branch, which aren't reflected in this scorecard. That's it for the DC update. Here's my conversation with Pat Williams. Pat, thank you so much for being on. To remind our listeners, you were the last Democrat to represent Montana in the U.S. House of Representatives. In the time since you've been in office, the House has switched control several times. How do you think it looks going into this year? Well, I think, uh, you know, it's been, uh, it's been a while uh, since Democrats control the House, and being my party, I'm, I'm glad of it. But so I do think that, uh, that it's timely that the American people uh, gave uh, the Democrats the majority in the U.S. House, and it's particularly timely because of the Trump presidency. Whether one is uh, supportive or, uh, or not of, uh, of President Trump and his policies and his 
personality, uh, I think there's a, a very small minority that think uh, he's uh, been either particularly productive or thoughtful. So uh, a Democratic House, uh, it seems to me, will be able to uh, uh, keep him a, a, a little more disciplined. And, uh, and of course, they also have the threat, should he become uh, terribly unruly, um, they always have the threat of impeachment. So that, that too should probably keep him between the yellow lines. Yeah, great. Well, I mean, do you think anything can get done in the next two years? I do. I think the House uh, has a great possibility to uh, challenge some of the uh, some of the major issues at hand, uh, get legislation passed, and do it in a way and with such language that uh, a complete rejection by the Senate or a complete refusal by the Senate's majority leader uh, to even bring up a bill passed by the House would uh, would start to become uh, politically impossible because uh, Americans do want to see some action and the Americans always know there's more that needs to be done in a country is ever-changing, growing, and expanding as ours. So uh, there's an opportunity to... Uh, to, uh, to, to make some real progress. I think our highways and bridges and transportation system, including hopefully the future of high-speed trains, is a, uh, are a, uh, uh, a, a real coming problem for the United States. I'd also like to see the Congress pursue uh, uh, reasonably priced solar and wind power mm-hmm. uh, for the West, remove some mine wastes and reclaim the land and the streams and the river banks. That's a constant problem. And the federal government is uh, well suited to tackle those kind of problems. And although this isn't a complete list, I would also add, because of my time on the uh, post uh, chairing the post-secondary education committee when I was there, that the Congress does need to do something to relieve families and students from this enormous problem of, uh, of student debt. Hmm. Uh, a reminder to your listeners, by the way, and that is that almost all of the student debt comes from the small one or two year or less uh, private schools, proprietary schools. People think of them usually as uh, storefront schools like hairdressing, hairdresser colleges and the like. Those are responsible for the student debt, not America's colleges and universities. They have very little student debt uh, with regard to failure to pay. So um, the, the, con- the Congress is going to have to deal with this debt one way or the other. Hmm. Yeah, you went through a, a few issues there. Um, maybe we can just crack some of them open. Uh, you know, the first one you mentioned, you mentioned highways, mass transit, uh, renewable energy. People are talking a lot about uh, an infrastructure package, and you're hearing a lot, especially in the House now, the new Democratic majority, even the left flank of that, uh, this term people are using now called the Green New Deal to yeah. uh, you know, to connect climate and environmental issues to an infrastructure package. So um, what are your thoughts on that? 
Well, I think it's an interesting concept with with regard to what I know about it. I right now it seems to me there's a lot of slogan there, but that the uh, that uh, the the how and wherefore of it has not yet uh, come across the country. I, I don't think people, including myself, know exactly what uh, a Green New Deal means. But it certainly must uh, must include infrastructure. Now, how green the remedies might be, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's been uh, it's now been ten years. Uh, since uh, former President Obama passed a major infrastructure bill. And with that bill, perhaps people have forgotten, he pulled us out of what had been known as the, as the uh, Bush recession, the George W. Bush recession. We came roaring back from that recession and had eight uh, really p- pretty spectacular economic years under Barack Obama, and those have have uh, continued to be good under uh, this president. Uh, but 10 years is a long time mm-hmm. uh, to not truly attack uh, cracked bridges that are in danger of falling down and uh, highways. We certainly have them in Montana, <laughs> that uh, because of uh, not so much travel out here as the weather. Uh, our highways need uh, repairing, and uh, a lot of those are not state highways, rather they're federal highways. So uh, we look forward to that that kind of a package uh, uh, being tackled by the by the Congress. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also mentioned an environmental cleanup, and you know you're from Butte, and one thing I've noticed from from the Trump administration, his former. EPA administrator, Scott Pruitt, who's, who's not there anymore. Um, yeah. you know, he, he was involved or tangled up with a lot of ethics allegations, but one of the things he was doing for Montana was taking some action on the Superfund site in Butte. Right. Um, yeah. Have you yeah, been he came out and that? visited? Yeah. Yes. He came out and visited. I wasn't there, but, uh, had no particular business to be there, but no reason to be there. But uh, I was glad to uh, uh, see somebody uh, at the head of the agency that came out and took a, a close look. That cleanup isn't done over there yet. It's just not fully accomplished. And in fact, some of the people that are closest to it have told me in the past, and I mean the recent past, the last year or so, that uh, there's still danger in the land and the water in Butte despite all these years of uh, what was pretty good federal cleanup, but the dangers remain, uh, and primarily because of, uh, because of uh, water, uh, particularly underground water. Mm-hmm. So uh, we certainly have uh, continued to have that problem over there. And I also think that, uh, that people in Montana, as well as people elsewhere, uh, need to uh, begin to think a little harder and put a little more effort, including money, into our coastlines Hmm. and into our forest lands uh, to try to protect against these absolutely devastating weather phenomenon, including fire Hmm. here in these forests. 
but certainly floods on our coastal areas. Uh, I'm very concerned that with global warming, uh, 10 years from now, we're going to wish we had started next week, <laughs> this week, at uh, shoring up these coastlines in, in, uh, in, in our country uh, because the, uh, the effect of the storms is starting to batter major cities in this country, and they are an enormous part of the nation's economy. I think we have to begin to protect them now against these forces uh, that are going to come rolling across certainly the coastlines in the form of uh, storms created by climate change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're certainly seeing the economic impacts uh, occurring now on a larger scale. I know I read that, you know, Allstate Insurance Company and the big utility there in California are both hit really hard from the fires that have been going on there. And I think there's similar yeah, situations I'm worried, in Yeah, I'm worried some of these insurance companies will go broke. I mean, as rich yeah. as they are. You know, when banks need money, they go to insurance companies. But <laughs> as rich as these insurance companies are, these multi-billion dollar storms uh, are, uh, are very, very financially threatening to these companies. And uh, there's another... There's another potential problem for the American taxpayer. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned uh, managing national forests, and I know you were a public lands champion while you served in Congress. Um, Could could you just remind our listeners of a few of the things that you worked on on public lands at the federal level? Well, the, uh, the public lands, and I think everybody agrees to it now, but they didn't all agree to it when I was in Congress. Um... Public lands have to be kept in public hands. Uh, Our lands are extraordinarily precious and important to to this country uh, and to every citizen. Uh, I think, at least for now, we have won that struggle. That is to say, most politicians no longer seem to want to espouse that uh, the public land should be sold off to help pay our debt. Mm-hmm. That's a uh, that's a nonsensical, I hope, non-starter. Mm-hmm. So we've gotten away from that. But, uh, you know, as we learned from the Dust Bowl, uh, lands that don't receive proper treatment uh, will trade places with lands that do. <laughs> <laughs> The, the lands will blow away if not properly treated. And, uh, you know, you begin to get down to some type of a bedrock situation, and certainly people can't, uh, can't practice good agriculture uh, uh, policies uh, under that kind of a condition. So uh, it seems to me that uh, I mentioned coastlines earlier, but our interior grasslands and these forest lands um, – have to be protected from uh, what the, the devastation of global warmings, floods, and, 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 and fires. And then economically, uh, caring about the land, including planting trees, which we need to do at a much greater rate than we have been, uh, but 
caring for the lands can be awfully good for middle-income families because they get jobs on those lands, public jobs. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's a cost to the taxpayer, but they're our lands. We should pay to keep them uh, in a quality condition. But it's, it's, uh, it's a wonderful thing for the economy when we have these public lands uh, programs. Yeah, and they're, they're pretty cheap compared to, uh, you know, other government programs. You, you they see, are, uh, and, uh, yeah. and the payoff is enormous. Yeah. You know, that, that kind of leads me to my next question. Uh, you're talking about public sector workers. Um, Montana has a lot of, you know, Forest Service employees and, and National Parks employees. Um, all of them are furloughed right now in this partial government shutdown. Um, let's see, where do we want to start with this? I, first of all, uh, did you experience any government shutdowns while you were serving in Congress? Very, very short. And by the way, uh, every, I think maybe there were two of them, fairly major, but nothing like this. Mm -hmm. Two shutdowns, as I recall, while I was in Congress. And the Congress, the White House, and all of the agencies we're working to get the government opened again. This is an odd shutdown because it seems to me that our political representatives, including the president, are working to keep the government closed. <laughs> Both sides seem to want it closed. Unless, of course, uh, at least in the president's instance, uh, he gets 100% of what he wants. And uh, in the instance of the U.S. House, the Democratic-controlled House, uh, Speaker Pelosi and the others are determined not to give him what he wants. That is $5 billion for uh, this wall on the border. By the way, there are hundreds of miles of walls and fences on our border with Mexico, and not one foot, not one inch of those fences and walls have been constructed during the time that uh, uh, that uh, Donald Trump has been president. We have long cared about our southern border. It's just that people that weren't paying attention rose up and cheered when Trump said he was going to build a great, wonderful, best-looking cement wall in the world. Uh, apparently, those people didn't know there were walls galore down there. Um, but, you know, so be it. If we have an uninformed public about some issues that can turn out to be bad news for America. I mean, and, you know, a lot of us don't remember recent history, myself included. Um, what was it? What was the immigration crisis like when you were serving? Or was it a crisis? Well, it, uh, it was a crisis, but primarily because the quota system wasn't working well. It had been outdated. I don't know how many years it had been since the Congress had had reform in immigration. That is, what, uh, uh, how many people would we take from which countries? Mm -hmm. And uh, a Democrat and, and a Republican, uh, a Democrat was Ron Mazzoli from Kentucky in the House, and Alan Simpson, a Republican, uh, Mazzoli was a Democrat in the House, yeah, and Simpson was a Republican in the Senate from Wyoming, and they came together 
in a bill called the Simpson-Mazzoli Immigration Bill and straightened out the quotas and made it uh, enormously uh, more fair than it had been previously. Uh, but, but you see, that was about finding an orderly way to control immigration coming into the country. This latest debate seems to be about stopping immigration from coming into the country. Right. And, uh, or at least retarding it in a, what I think most experts think is an unreasonable, unreasonably strict manner. So the two issues are uh, somewhat different, but immigration has long been a important American issue. And uh, speaking for myself, I wouldn't be here if there, <laughs> in this country if there hadn't been and immigration. I. And I think almost every American <laughs> can say the same thing. Yeah. So what do you think? How, what's your, uh, how do we get through this shutdown? Oh, yeah, I don't know. You know, one <laughs> has to be closer to it than I am, but I don't know. But it's going to have to be a little give on both sides. I think the Democrats are going to have to say, well, all right, we don't like this wall. We want to make the point we think it's nonsensical, given that we already have border security and a lot of walls down there. But if you're that insistent, Mr. President, let's give you some money spend it over several years and and uh, you give us whatever uh, a little more immigration for people that are other status good status for immigrants that are already here and we'll do a deal and, and let it go but it's going to take cooperation from uh, it's going to take cooperation from both sides hmm. I do, I do want to make a another point if I may Dan yeah um, you know, in my judgment, America has worked best when it's experimenting, when it's doing the, 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 the research, the public research in medicine, space, uh, communication. Um, but that takes uh, partnership between government and America's uh, uh, colleges and universities, public and private. Hmm. Um, but research has to become a more critical component in, in our national effort. And uh, uh, productive research has always, always led to a reduction in our national debt, either what it would have been without research or an actual dollar-for-dollar dollar reduction. Uh, America can do research. Americans can perform research uh, uh, it seems to me better than people anywhere else. And I, I don't think we're born smarter or anything like that. It's just that America is such an open society that uh, we're willing to spend on research that may or may not prove out. And that's been a, a marvelous engine to our economic development, and we should get back to it in a big way once again. Hmm. That's a... That's a great point. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad you. You made that. Thank you. Thank you I agree. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Let me let me switch course here. Maybe we got about four or five minutes left. Um, <clears throat> this is uh, this question has to do with uh, the upcoming census and how it might affect Montana's representation in the U.S. House. Basically, you know, population in Montana is growing again there's a chance, you know, we would get another congressional district after the 2020 census. 
you actually served in Congress the last time Montana had two congressional districts. So, I yeah, I just wanted to ask first what your experience was like sharing the state with someone else in the U.S. House and then, yeah, what you think about going forward. Well, 30 years ago, I represented Easter, or, uh, excuse me, western Montana, the mountainous mm-hmm. half, one would say, of the state. And my friend and colleague, a Republican, Ron Marlinay from Scobie, represented the eastern half. And we both thought, and I think Montanans, according to their votes, agreed that we were two pretty good fits uh, for for both sides of the state. Uh, uh, of course, that's gone away. There, there's only one now. And I served when there were two and served when there were one. And let me tell you, Montana's better off with two members of the House than they are one. Uh, I frankly think that given of the state's size and the fact that people are so far apart, you know, it's, it's true. There may be a million and a quarter of us or a million and a half of us, uh, but we live in uh, 300 cities and towns. Mm-hmm. We tend to bunch up. <laughs> but but uh, 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 you know, we, we, we could really use uh, two members of Congress, and if our population has grown enough, we'll get them back, and I think it will make a substantial difference in the service that people get from their congressmen. Mm-hmm. Not only timely answering uh, the mail that's written to members of Congress, not only that, but also in the, uh, in the tasks that people have for a member of Congress. For example, Congressman, my grandma's social security check didn't show up in the mail this <laughs> right. month, and we've got to find it. She needs it. And, you know, you go and do a lot of those, those sort of things, but then there's also that other service of voting. Mm-hmm. on the things that are going to benefit Montana, and two people on the task, uh, each in their own district, each staying with their own constituents in their in their own district. I think two members would be a, uh, a real significant boon to Montana, and I think it's going to be, again, a very close call as to whether or not we get that second member. Right. Yep. <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, interesting. It's going to be a nail-biter. What was the uh, what was the the boundary like? You know, it went it north went south. From, uh, yeah, yeah, the yeah the boundary between the old western and eastern district mm-hmm. between Ron and myself went uh, from Canada down to Wyoming. So it was a north south boundary, mm-hmm. and it uh, it came west of Cascade County. It was almost a straight line. It followed county county boundaries, but it was mm-hmm. you know it was a relatively straight line. Uh, from the Canadian border to our border with Wyoming. And Cascade and Great Falls were in the eastern district. So mm. that kind of gives you an idea where the where the boundary was. There was a little less land space in the western district than there was in the eastern district, but there were a few more people in mm. the western district than there were over in eastern Montana. Mm. That's, that's great. That's interesting. Well, yeah. yeah. I, you know, I wish, yeah, I really enjoyed talking with you today, Pat. And, and uh, I realized we got into the issues pretty fast at the beginning of our conversation. So I just want to end with just a general, how are you doing and what are you up to question these days? Oh, thanks for asking, Dan. I'm, I'm doing great. My health is good. My wife, Carol's health is 
very good. Carol's as active as ever. As many Montanas remember her as a active person, both uh, back in the uh, when we were, when I was in the Congress, she ran a international group called Peace Links. Uh, Links, L-I-N-K-S, Peace Links, and uh, it was a, a major group of women who were trying to find a way out of the uh, problems of the Iron Curtain back in the days when the Soviet Union was a very significant threat. Uh, and uh, Carol continues activity, not that particular activity, but others since she's been out here. For my part, I went to I went to work uh, as a teacher again. That's what I am by profession. So I taught at the University of Montana uh, full-time for about 17 years. And I've t I'm teaching sort of part-time just to help out here and there with a guest lecture now and then. Hmm. I've been doing that for the last couple of years. And finally, what keeps me busy, Dan, is that I'm trying to write a memoir about my years growing up in Butte. Hmm. And then skipping to my years in Congress, hmm. uh, it seems to me that the uh, the two things people are interested in, and since there's a little veil over these subjects between what they think is going on or what might really be going on in <laughs> in two places in their lives. One is for Montanans, Butte. What the hell's going on over there? <laughs> and the other thing is Congress. What's really going on in the Congress? So although I don't know that there are any particular secrets on either one, I'm trying to reveal the butte I knew and the Congress I served in. So I'm, uh, I'm hard at that, and I'm probably about 80% of the way finished it. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah, I know. Those are questions I just asked you in the last 20 minutes. So <laughs> yeah, that's right, I'll it? probably read the book. Um, that's great. Well, thanks. <laughs> I'll, I'll pay for one. I'll pay for no, one. No, no. At a local I'm going to send it because you were kind enough to have me on this nice pod program of yours. <laughs> I appreciate it, sir. It's, uh, it was an honor to speak with you. So thank you so much and please come back on whenever you want. I'm delighted. Thank you. All right. Well, it was really great to have Mr. Williams on the show today and to get his perspective from, from all the time that he has spent serving in Washington, D.C. Senator Tester addressed the Montana State Legislature earlier this week, and today's Last Word segment is a clip from his speech. His full speech covered topics like health care and education, but I'll just play you part of the beginning and put the link to the rest on the website. We come to Helena every two years for 90 days and we make laws and we don't make a money, enough money to support ourselves so we have to go back and have a real job and we have to live under those rules that we have created and so i say congratulations to you for being a part of this great body and just know this you're at the beginning of the session as you move forward and this session gets a little wild you will not be the craziest legislative branch in this country the United States Senate will bump you off of that hill, I guarantee you. Look, you've got a lot of important issues here to talk about during this session, and I'm just going to touch on a few and, and talk about, um, you know, I, I hesitate to do this, because when Conrad Burns and Max Bacchus used to come and I was sitting in those chairs and they used to talk to me, I used to go, come on, man, we're going to do what we're going to do anyway, and you will. But here's a little advice as, as we move forward from 
from the U.S. Senate perspective. The big issue you have to deal with, one of them is, is Medicaid, so we might as well just start. That's it for this episode of the Montana Middle. Music was provided by my sister, June West. Thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you.